In this episode, I sit down with my friend, Mike Connor. He's a Nelson Nash Institute practitioner. He's a retired full bird colonel from the Air Force. He's a double E major. He's a real estate investor. He's a real estate mentor. And he's a financial mentor to the servicemen and women and their families that he engages with. And he's a mentor in the church when it comes to finances. So we had fun. I enjoyed it. I believe you will as well. Thank you for listening. All right, welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery, and I'm always excited to have a guest, uh, especially in the studio. And I'm excited today to have my friend, Mike Connor, with me. Um, here, I'm not going to do his background justice, but I'm going to make an effort, and then we'll get him to fill in some details, okay? Mike Connor is a retired full bird colonel from the U.S. Air Force. Yes, sir. Double E major. Um, real estate investor. He's been a financial mentor to the young corpsmen. What do you call the military? The young military families? Airmen. Airmen. Mm-hmm. And uh, in his church uh, as well. So he's got some financial background and uh, he's, he really does help um, his airmen and their families and their church members. And not only in their personal finance, but even in real estate. You do some real estate mentoring. And so we'll get into um, how we met and everything, and uh, and I'm excited. I think uh, this is going to be a great podcast. So, Mike, thanks for driving up here and joining us, sir. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. Perfect. You want to fill in some of the background on the on your, you know, your your experience, sir? I mean, full bird colonel, it takes, that didn't happen overnight. It, it, yeah, it took about uh, 24 years, and I found if I kept showing up, they just keep promoting me and you just keep coming and coming and then they don't know what to do with you. And then next thing you know, you get promoted, pay more and promote you. It sounds like a perfect, typical government plan. Sorry. Something about persistence and patience, something like that. that following uh, orders. I, I follow orders, orders fairly well, yeah. uh, fairly well. Um, I'm a Navy brat. Uh, so I grew up in the military. Mm. Uh, I didn't know I was going to go in the military. My first degree is in secondary math education. I was supposed to be a high school uh, math teacher, wrestling coach, gymnastics coach. And uh, when I was student teaching, I looked so close in age to the high school students that they had a ball with Mr. Connor. They, they had me turn a chair around and put my foot up on it so I could discipline one of their classmates. And I let them walk me through it. And we all had a great time. Mm-hmm. But uh, and, and I did well, and I liked it, but I wanted to get some real-world stories to, to be able to use to illustrate math and how it works in the real world. So I was going to try the military for four years. Wait, help me make that connection. I want I wanted to get some math experience, real world. I'm going to go to the military. How did that happen? Well, you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, well, no, I think I could <laughs> I could get plenty of examples on how I could make that work uh, on how math was applied in different uh, professions. I was in a civil engineering squadron at the okay. time. Uh, I was a, a staff sergeant and a carpenter and had been a plumber and an admin specialist. You, you had to find a vacant position to be able to move up in the in the Air National Guard at that point in Delaware. And so I knew there were plenty of, of applications for math because I was doing it inside of the, the engineering world. And uh, so it's not quite uh, as 
backwards as you might think at this point. <laughs> I did uh, use the word backwards. Let <laughs> me make that connection. <laughs> but naturally, uh, optimum size that I am, I wasn't going to be the fighting force myself. So I only talked to the Air Force and to the Navy. And the Air Force said, uh, we want electrical engineers. Mm. And if, if you uh, uh, sign up with us, we're going to send you to officer training school in San Antonio uh, for three months, and then we're going to send you to a civilian university to get a second bachelor's degree in electrical engineering. And I said, huh? You're, you're going to pay me as a second lieutenant, then you're going to pay for school on top of that. And I just put myself through school, uh, working full time while I was going to school. And I thought, man, that sounds like a pretty good opportunity. So... The Air Force won. The Navy couldn't match the the deal, and uh, so I, in 1983, I hit Lackland Air Force Base for the second time. I uh, got commissioned a second lieutenant, and they sent me to Auburn University for 20 months to get a second degree in electrical engineering. And then that four years actually turned into a 20-year active duty career. So I never made it back to to teach in the in the classroom, but I had fun doing it. Mm -hmm. And you, you obviously are pretty good at math, then, right? All that double E engineering. <laughs> I, I gave the impression that I that I knew how to use math. <clears throat> okay, so then you you got up to the rank of colonel, full bird colonel. Um, man, you had to put up with an awful lot to make that happen. I would think. I mean, I'm not a military guy. It it, it was a lot of adventure. Uh, it was a lot of highs, some lows. Uh, <laughs> And that's where the persistence uh, pays off and uh, and getting the mission done. So I got it. Yeah. Well, um, let's let's kind of jump forward and you can continue to fill that in. But, you know, we met a, about a year, about a year ago. Is that about right? Mm -hmm. Maybe a little over a year. And as I recall, I got a phone call from an individual who was you were either preparing to go into the Nelson Nash Institute, become a practitioner or you were in the program, you know, which was it? I, I was in the program. Okay. I knew I needed a mentor by that point. Uh, and I knew that my first quasi IBC policy was not large enough. That after taking the practitioner course and understanding better what I had started with somebody else that was not an authorized practitioner, I knew I was ready for another policy and I needed a mentor and by that time I was watching a lot of podcasts but yours was was uh, one of the primary ones and you let it slip that you were double zero one uh, authorized practitioner so I said what the hell if I'm going to do this thing I might as well go to the the number one guy and uh, I called your sister Julie and I said Julie, I'm a little bit of a smart ass. Uh, one way or the other, I'm going to learn something about what James knows because I'm ready for my next policy. Now, I want him to be my mentor as well, but uh, I do need a policy, so I want to get started with that. But my real goal is for James to be my mentor on top of that as I complete the authorized practitioner. And she course. said, smart, eh? You'll fit right in. Huh? <laughs> she did. She did. She, she said, hey, I think you're in already or yeah. something close. <clears throat> So I remember, um, and you know, you do uh, take the initiative. There's no question about that. And uh, you had a policy. So you you were from maybe the real estate. How did you get exposed to the infinite banking concept? 
And how, how did you even get to your first policy? You know, because in, 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 and we can edit this out if you wish, but um, I think it's important. And, and his bio is on the Nelson Nash Institute Practitioner Finder out of San Antonio, Texas. Um, and I think that he's being generous. He's really not putting all of his experience up there. Um, but you, uh, in your financial mentoring with your airmen and their families and church members, um, you you were I don't I don't even remember I don't even know the title of them, but you taught Dave Ramsey's program in the church, mm-hmm. right? So I don't want to jump over that, and I'm not going to beat Dave Ramsey up. I mean, getting out of debt, nobody should be in debt, right? We should not be in debt. Okay, so um, and then your math educator, right? And you're you're teaching um you know real mentorship to these young people and the church members and mm-hmm. so I mean how did you go from there you know to buying a, a a big old life insurance policy you know hell it was an interesting journey <laughs> I I can tell you that and and I'm going to go back uh um as a navy brat our only vacations were when the navy was transferring my father to his next duty location <laughs> And we would always go through Wilmington, Delaware, where my extended family was from. And my grandfather was a master plumber. And from the time I was 12, I'd go back on the summers and live with him and work with him. Mm-hmm. And at 12, there was a, a high school teacher who was buying properties. At the time, he was buying one property, uh, fixer-upper. He was doing the sweat equity thing. He used my grandfather for the licensed plumbing work, and then he'd flip the house, or that's what I later learned at 12. I didn't have a clue what he was doing. He was making money. (laughs) But the time, but as I was graduating with my math degree, uh, I guess I just turned 22, this person was no longer a teacher. This was a, a millionaire real estate investor who was buying rows of townhouses in Wilmington, Delaware, and and renovating them. And uh, I, I didn't have a clue what he was doing, but I knew I was going to do something with real estate mm. in the future. And then my father did not have a good experience with uh, with buying houses as a, as a um, naval officer. Uh, he avoided it, and most military members avoid home ownership because they're afraid they're going to get stuck if the market changes and they're going to have to rent and the renters are going to screw them and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I started putting puzzle pieces together, and when I retired from the Air Force and took my first uh, civilian job in Sumter, South Carolina, uh, home to uh, Shaw Air Force Base and uh, Air Force Central Command Headquarters and now Army Central Command Headquarters. Uh, I started real estate investing there. And uh, other the military at that time was one of the larger industries in the area. And not a lot of people wanted to buy houses in that area because they didn't figure they'd be there that long. The town was about 50,000 and the perception was a, a great assignment but I'm moving on and I don't want a property there. Uh, Now, I moved there in 2003 
and uh, I'd started taking real estate investing training and and I was learning how to to buy properties, but you need buyers to to buy your properties. And because it was a, a lower economic area and not a lot of financial education, I started learning about financial education and Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University was one of those programs that were being promoted in the church. And the basics of it are great. And the analogy to math is, you know, uh, addition and subtraction kind of thing. You got to get the basics before you can do anything more sophisticated with finances. So that was the right place to start for for many people not only for the people that were in our properties but my church congregation and then i've got a not-for-profit in south carolina called the patriot project where we advocate uh, financial intelligence home ownership and entrepreneurship so i'd go speak on the air force base and we'd have military members come as well uh and it was it, it it was a great education bring everybody back to the basics uh, get them to put a budget in place so they were telling their money where to go rather than running out of the month and not enough money. Yep. Uh, so a lot of good concepts. Uh, and again, the basics that everybody can learn to begin with, but not the end of financial intelligence or education um, for for me. Uh, and then from that, uh, you know, mentoring military members who most of us, hell, so high school, trained high school teacher, uh, we don't teach financial education in the schools. And then you take a, a young airman or a young officer who's not been taught as well, but now they have a steady paycheck and they're out just buying all kinds of stuff that they don't need. <laughs> uh, Parkinson's rule, uh, they, that, and, so I would brief the younger, uh, both enlisted and officer groups and say, now, wait a minute, if you put a plan together now, when, when you separate or you retire and stay in as long, we, we need you, we appreciate your service, stay as long as, as, as it's right for you and your family. But I want you to have a plan other than I have to take the first job yeah. when I separate because I wasn't wise with my money to begin with. And so that... Uh, provided a lot of good uh, mentoring opportunities and a lot of ability to help people make a big impact in their life and and that fit the teacher in me or the coach in me and that kind of thing Uh and then uh carry on i'm like how you're like well so because every uh you know every um uh you know, the, the, the construct of there has to be an enemy, you know, Dave Ramsey's enemy is whole life insurance, right? The infinite banking concept, you know, the bad guy is central banking. Well, one has an awful lot of truth and the other is contrived or constructed, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Right. But there's that paradigm that, you know, here's the goal. It's a worthy goal. It's a noble idea. And there's a bad guy. Um, so going through and teaching that course, I mean, you had to have uh, – your opinion of life insurance had to be shaped somewhat. A whole life is the worst place to put money. And, well, and and that that is interesting. But first, even just insurance to begin with, uh-huh. uh, if it hadn't been for the Air Force and them saying, 
you get to pick between $200,000 or $400,000 worth of service members group life insurance. I Nobody taught me about insurance. That 400 uh, is bigger than 200, so let's do that. That's right. That's, <laughs> that's, and it was cheap. So I was active duty Air Force uh, until I was 44. And at that time, I had a wife, four kids, and two dogs. And then I'm losing that insurance. And then there's a choice for veterans group life insurance. And as I was telling you the other day, I just talked to a, a, a recently retired Air Force member who had to make the decision on what they were going to do. And when I looked at the numbers on veterans group life insurance and the amount of money that has to be paid in order to keep it in force, it goes up every four or five years. Yeah, it was into some some numbers large enough that most people won't stick with it. No question. So as I was retirement, retiring, I had that choice in 2003. And I'm a, my father was a USA member, so I was born into it. Automobile and, Association. And, and a USA member of my own right at this point. And so I called them and I... Uh, didn't get a lot of education, but I learned that a 20-year term life insurance policy at uh, half a million dollars was a whole lot cheaper than what the uh, VGLI was going to provide. At 400. At 400. <clears throat> and in that conversation, I, and, and you got 500,000 in term, right? Right. And I asked him, like, well, Mike, how'd you get to that 500? I, I pulled it out of some part of my anatomy. It, which is a great it's a great question. Uh, I mean, on par- I said it on purpose because um, when you talk to people, it's oh, I've got a million in term, I've got five hundred in term, seven fifty in term, two fifty in term, whatever it is. Ninety nine percent of them, all you got to do is ask them, well, what what kind of formula? How did you get to that number? What kind of formula, mathematical equation, or whatever did you use? Oh no, didn't none. It just I didn't have any or had some. That's more than I had, and so it sounded like a real number, right? And you think about that, and, and that's the truth. Um, I mean, God help us if that's how you're going to make a decision on life insurance, right? But then to carry that out, um, and I know I'm skipping forward a little bit because we had a great conversation. He, he came up yesterday, you know. Um, so in that conversation, um, and we'll and we'll get to this. I'm like, well, and I know how much death benefit you have, or I have an idea of how much enforce death benefit you have, and I'm not going to ask. Uh, for you to disclose that or anything, but you had 500 in term, and compared to what you have, which one do you think will be around at natural mortality? Well, I think my whole life policy will. Right. So, I mean, when we're there's no question if we don't have you know any capital, you know, term is better than nothing, but the appropriate amount of term is better than having just some random number. Right. And then above that, you know, being properly insured with permanent life insurance is Narvana. Anyway, mm-hmm. okay. Then thanks for letting me interrupt there. So don't lose your train of thought. Okay. So <laughs> so for me personally then in two thousand three I put that policy in place and it's good until I'm sixty five. I'm sixty two. Wow, you don't look a day over fifty five. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Uh so about two years ago. Uh, my lovely wife says, hey, that life insurance policy is getting ready to uh, to end when you're 65. What are we going to do about that? And I said, 
I hadn't considered my mortality. I'm holy cow! I'm shooting for 120. Right. So uh, he works out every day. He tried to. So. That's right. I try to. Uh, but from her perspective, and and with women having larger security glands than uh, than a guy does, her security gland was squeezing pretty hard. And so <laughs> sometimes they're just smarter than us. Come on, let's be honest. <laughs> Possibly most of the time. <laughs> Possibly. Uh, so our, I think it was our CPA at the time, uh, had a free steak dinner seminar. Selling life insurance. <laughs> Selling life insurance. Now, he brought in this group, and I'd never heard of this concept, but this was high cash value life insurance that they already had somebody lined up to lend you the premium money to get into it. And some oh, complicated some premium scheme. premium finance. I love it. Yeah, yeah, some, yeah, yeah. some complicated scheme. I bet the CPA is licensed too, right? Uh, I, I, you know, okay. So we I'm enjoyed, sure he's a great guy. You wouldn't do business with him. Did, we, did, we did not uh, take that opportunity. I didn't understand it frankly, and I wasn't looking for more debt uh, at that point. Uh, but the concept was there about what whole life could do and the cash values and, and how to use it uh, to, to bank on. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was about a year later, and uh, Lisa's security gland was squeezing a little bit harder because we hadn't done anything to replace the... Uh, the term life insurance policy. And you're sitting there aging. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting older and I thought prettier, but. Uh, well, 50 50, you know. Oh, man. Oh, man. So we then went to, and it was a quasi real estate investing seminar. Uh, and it was actually on residential assisted living facilities. And because I'm part of the baby boomers and that population's growing, they're saying, hey, here's a great opportunity to combine real estate. And and Lisa is a former registered nurse. Mm -hmm. So we're thinking, okay, well, maybe there's some way we put the two pieces together. Hire ROI. And uh, uh, we learned, and fortunately, this was in 2019, I think, we learned that wasn't the right opportunity at that time. Mm -hmm. And given all of the COVID stuff that happened afterwards, mm -hmm. we're glad that-, that Looked like a genius we, for we passing did. on that one. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> the, the Connor procrastination gene on that one uh, saved me. But in order to help fund that and to, to wealth build as part of that, this seminar included a life insurance agent who was promoting- uh, he called it investment grade uh, life insurance. Red flag. Anytime you let me, I'm going to interject here. Investment grade life insurance gets its origin from uh, the late '80s when the insurance companies came out with the unbundled product Universal Life. <clears throat> right. So the sales terminology back in that day was, "Well, we're going to present this as a retirement plan." Wrong. And then uh, we're going to use the terminology investment grade, wrong, which implies whatever you have is substandard, right? Or investment grade is far superior to what you have. It's a sales terminology. So when you hear investment grade life insurance, should raise a red flag. So thanks for letting me interject. Uh-oh. Well, uh we didn't know about red flags at the sure. time. I uh, had not started the practitioner program. Right, right. Um, but it was whole life insurance with one of the top five 
Uh, oh, so they just say the big four is that fifth one that they always leave out. <laughs> right. I've been watching your podcast. Right. That's how I can say top five. Uh, and so it's one of the second oldest life insurance company that continually exists in the United States. So, okay. So we ended up putting two policies in place, uh, one on myself and one on Lisa. And did they mention Nelson's name ever? Any of them? No. Of course not. Okay. No. And and that's part of the reason or how I came to find you because I started, well, I continued my education. Yeah. Once you start writing those big checks. You know, now you're really vested, right? Or invested, right? right? So your education continues on purpose, you know, because you're, I mean, we all pay substantial premiums no matter what they are. In my opinion, I don't care if, if an individual is paying $500 or a guy's paying a million dollars a year. You know, sometimes a guy paying $500 a month is a greater challenge than the guy paying a million, you know, because sure. the guy—it's like the the story of the widow's mite. You know, the guy paying five hundred is really stretching himself. The guy paying a million should probably be paying three million. So, yep, gotcha. Um, so, but once you start writing your checks, the checks, and now now it's like, okay, now I really want to know, right? I want to know more as much as I can. Sure. Yeah. Well, and and fortunately, I'm a lifetime learner. The military helps make you a lifetime learner, I think. Uh, but I continued my studying and came across your podcast. And uh, my wife, Lisa, is a Canadian out of Edmonton. Oh, and uh, well, she's there now. She's in Edmonton getting snowed on right now. That's crazy. Uh, And And, and then, too, let me say that I'm going to be they've been a guest. I'm I'm assuming that you also listen to Wealth Without Bay Street. Right. Right. So uh, Jason Lowe, Richard Canfield. I mean, we're right after we when we finish. I mean, we're going to I'm going to podcast with them as well. So. That's we don't right. leave them out. So right. I, I started seeing these podcasts and then linking to the Nelson Nash Institute. So then I followed the link and found the practitioner program and figured, all right, well, this is the place to learn. And uh, I think in the process, I had gone to the agent who signed me up, who had been a former real estate investor as well. And I said, hey, tell me a little bit about what you did. Mm-hmm. And he told me about his his journey to become a life insurance agent. And I said, okay, well, I think I may want to do that. How do I do that? And so he told me about the life insurance uh, training and education and taking a license. So I'd already gone through that process. And uh, at the same time that I was uh, signing up for the pra- practitioner's program. And so as I'm going through the practitioner's program and then I'm going back and talking to who I'm now signed up under, I'm going, no, wait a minute. Do you, do we do this or in, and he didn't know the language I was speaking. You're right. And so that, and so he couldn't help me the way I wanted to be helped. Right. And, and so that's what led me to, to calling Julie and uh, saying, okay, I know from the study of the practitioner program, uh, <laughs> I now know better what I'm doing. And I know I started too small and I'm ready right now to put the next one in place. And well, that's perfect. When you say you started too small with that gentleman, it was substantial. And there's even other policies that, you know, so you're, he's practicing, you're practicing an even distribution of age classes as well. Um, already before we ever met. And, you know, and, and part of that is, um, you know, I talk to agents all the time and, and they have a special place in my heart. 
um, and I especially talk to practitioners or people that are interested in potentially becoming a practitioner. So, I mean, I spend a lot of time um, that I don't have, and I do that on purpose, but because uh, I think it's the right thing to do. Um, but, I mean, you were already paying substantial premiums. Right. Yes. And so whenever we whenever I work with someone, it's a pretty high threshold. You know, you've got to be teachable. You've got to be um, willing and you got to be, you know, somewhat um, initiative, being able to take the initiative and, and being oriented in that fashion that, you know, you you know, you, you've got to be the driver. Right. As sure. far as what you want to do and what you want to learn. Um and so when you're saying you're ready to expand, you you already were paying substantial premiums is what I'm saying when we met. And I know that um, we had we had you shared those illustrations with me. We did not replace any of them. And I don't remember how old they were, but I'm like, why did you do this? Why did you do that? Why did you do that? And and the best that I recall is like, well, because that's what he said. And it's, they're not harmful. Right. But you have since done better. Right. And if he would have known better, I think, you know, you could have done better. But and I'm just saying that to say this, that you're already paying substantial premiums. You're already, uh, you know, to become a, a mentee and a practitioner. You know, you are already paying substantial premium and then you paid um, you, you even expanded your system. You know, you became a client and and. So when you were saying you're ready to expand, it's a continuation of his expansion is my point here. Well, okay. and for, well, for most of us, we have no background or training, not only in finances, but let alone insurance. Right. And the concept of determining what your human value of life is or, or, or what the right number is. Um, I don't recall going through that process with, the first agent sure. uh, that I dealt with. They don't deal with that in the real estate world, human life value. That, that could be, but he was a life insurance agent at that point too. They don't have training generally uh, in the life insurance world either. And, but, I, and I'm not beating the guy up because I mean, he, he's obviously a good guy. You wouldn't have done business with him, right? And, and his heart's in the right place. I am not, I'm, I'm speaking of the, the financial services industry and the life insurance industry as a whole. Okay. So. Well, and the tough part is if the, if the client or the customer doesn't have a concept of what's appropriate, and if they got a threshold that says, oh, this is a lot of money, I'm not comfortable going past this, or they just give that number out there uh, and say, I can't do any more than that. Well, a lot of times that, uh, if the life insurance agent doesn't challenge that, if they just go with it, then then the consumer's never going to know. Right. Hey, you, you, there are other ways to do that, and that's one of the things I liked about the practitioner program and watching your videos and and the Canucks. Uh, I I learned different ways to um, explain the the program and the process. Uh, but then what I do in the real estate world as well gives me the ability to talk to just about anybody on any subject. And I was a former housing counselor, so I talk to people that are in bad financial situations through awesome financial situations. And 
the math teacher or whatever helps challenge what they think in in a way that uh, I like seeing their head hurt uh, and then help them come up with their own solution. Well, going from and I appreciate that. I think that, uh, you know, that's that's apparent once you get to know you, you know, kind of your operation. Um, But how did you go from, you know, the uh, the beans and rice program in and then I and I, I hear that you know your your CPA brought in some premium finance kind of presentation, and then the real estate you know they bring in another uh, concept of high cash value, but that's still you know balanced with the background of teaching uh, Dave Ramsey's program. You know, was there a conflict or a mental struggle or any of that? But was it you could rightly just clearly divide the math you know because math is math from you know actual maybe behavioral finance or you know what's going on at the you and me level how how did you reconcile that and and get to the point where you know i mean how did you tell your lovely wife it's like listen we've been teaching this beans and rice thing and now i want to pay this number in premium she she surely had to question your intelligence Uh, maybe not i don't know Hmm. I hadn't hadn't pondered that. Now, the the Financial Peace University program. That's what. It, okay. Uh, for the for the basics of budgeting, and remember, I I don't believe financial intelligence or education is is taught. Right. 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 In in high school or anywhere for it to be helpful. So, to get those basics out to help people get structured, for sure, made sense. Sure. To me, absolutely. Uh, to get out of consumer debt made sense. And I was already living that when I was teaching it. Mm-hmm. But I was an investor and investing in if So that was over the separation. You're not looking at the market. You're looking at real estate for the ready return kind of a thing. Yeah, and leverage in real estate. And, and Nelson it. points that out and becoming your own banker. So I knew I was violating that at the time. Yeah, well, Dave Ramsey did a, lost a bunch of money in real estate, right? Filed bankruptcy and maybe he's made it right. Maybe he hadn't. I don't know. But I'm just saying that, uh, and I don't, uh, it's, like, it's almost <laughs> like I'm not missing an opportunity to beat him up, but I'm not missing an opportunity to point out what's really going on is my effort here, right? Um so that was easy for you since, like, you're out of debt and there's some structure there. No question we should be out of debt. But you didn't, you know, buy into the 12% long-term growth stock mutual fund. You thought real estate you know, would be better for you? The the Well, first, I had that sight picture from starting at 12 to right? 22. Yeah, right. Seeing it in action. Uh, Second, I was buying, and it, this is right when the, um, I now know, when the mutual fund market was really starting to grow in the early 80s. So I'm prime time getting all of those commercials and, hey, you should dollar cost average into the uh, into mutual funds. And there are a lot of companies that market to junior officers in the military. Sure. More steak dinners. Oh, my gosh. Just like shooting fish in a barrel. (laughs) So they had one come in, but they were charging fees. And I told you I was a USA member. I knew they had no load fees. So I said, okay, well, I can do it smarter than that. So I I went to USAA and I started buying mutual funds. I was dollar cost averaging 1,500 bucks a month going into uh, mutual funds. And so as I watch you and Ryan, and Ryan talks about uh, capitalizing, uh, I didn't know that's what I was doing at that time, but 
but putting that money in uh, was the start of me capitalizing my financial system that I still enjoy 40 years later at this point. But the damn frustrating part was every time there was some world crises and the military's focused on that mission, by the time I turned around and looked, my portfolio had lost 20, 30, 40%. And that happens three, four, five times over a career. And you go, what the heck just happened here? Where, where did everything go? I wasn't investing yeah. in the military industrial complex. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so watching that happen, but then starting studying real estate investing uh, just prior to retiring, I figured I could do better in real estate and that was a smarter place to diversify my money. I got it. And that I may lose on a house, but I'm not gonna lose 20, 30, 40% of everything that I built. So right. that started about a 20 year process. Of so you didn't get addicted to that 12% long-term growth stock mutual fund and you know, comparing that investment to the investment in life insurance and how that was all negative. You didn't, that didn't really get on you. No, that, that part wasn't there. Now the life insurance piece at the time was there because that's when I was putting that 20 year term policy in right. place. So, so you were doing that part. So, so thinking out. through that piece and I had, uh, heard the, or been sold as I'm thinking back a universal life policy back then. Mm -hmm. So, looking at the Financial Peace University and hearing, hey, wait a minute, this whole life's not smart. Uh, and that was sold as a form of whole life, although I now know it's not, or uh, it, Words it's, have a, meaning, it's right? a tough, it, it's a tough whole life policy if you can maintain it that it's long. It's a permanent policy, it's not whole life, but yeah. So that did help me make the decision to get out of that, to get into the 20 year term I got it. policy. So, so that part, um, worked well, but then slowly I transitioned out of the stock market or mutual funds completely because uh, I'm tired of some crisis happening and then the US or world uh, herd runs off a cliff and then you lose 20, 30, 40% just because they felt whatever they felt didn't, didn't make sense anymore. It'll, it'll come back. This, it's a paper <laughs> loss. Right. It's an unrealized loss. You lock in the loss when you sell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't feel good whether it's paper or not paper. You know, that was during the, you know, quite often people would get their statements and they throw them in the drawer. They didn't want to see, which was uh, the same as they had done previous. When the market's all going up, it's going up. It's only going one way. I don't even care. Just throw it in the drawer. You know, it's going to go up. And then, when it goes down, it's like, oh my gosh, I don't, I'm, I can't bear to watch it. So just throw the statement in the drawer. Right. Well, my my NNI bio talks about all the red pill moments I've had since mm. I started studying wealth building, and and as I retired in uh, the Austrian economic uh, school and fee and and everything I've I've read in the last couple of years, and I'm scratching my head, going, dog on it. The mutual funds that they were selling back in the early 80s, well, that's when everybody was jumping in. And they kept selling that notion, that's a smart place to put your money. So everybody kept putting their money. Yeah. So a lot of the price rise what? was due to demand, people just jumping in, not mm. because the market was getting any better. Now, did you figure that out because you're a military colonel or real estate investor? I'm a little bit just... slower than the, than the <laughs> average bear. 
Uh, so it didn't occur to me at the time, but then uh, watching the government caused uh, housing crisis uh, in the first part of the century, and then the one that we're going through right now, um, uh, and you see the increase in prices of real estate. And as an engineer, I know that pile of dirt and sticks didn't become 10, 20% more valuable year over year just because it's sitting there, that that there had to have been a lot of cheap money that was being thrown out there and a lot of marketing and advertising to spur people to buy. So it's the same, the, the same concept that initially drove up the mutual fund market. You mean was, interest rates are so low, money is so cheap, that it's got to go somewhere. And are you implying that it's going into the stock market and the real estate market? I, I believe I am. Yeah, and here we are in Texas, you know, and all these people are moving from California, Washington, Illinois, New York. They're Yeah, they're moving to Florida, but they're moving to Texas, too. And it's like, man, so another avoiding, you know, they're fleeing government action, right? And so the government just should maybe mind their own dang business, right? I'm just saying more government action causing prices to rise on top of the cheap money and the great money supply. It's yeah. Like, yeah, someday we'll, we'll, we'll uh, figure out what's going on, you know, as an individual and then maybe take action. So um, anyway. Well, that, for me being a mentor to military members now, and I tell everybody, if they doesn't matter what service, I'll make fun of them if it's not the. Yeah, I'll make fun of each but, other. Come uh, on, man! But they're still my part of my military <laughs> sure. family. Absolutely. And uh, so I get connected to uh, to a lot of folks, a lot of military moving into San Antonio. And earlier this year, I was taking a lot of calls and military members trying to use their VA loan uh, to buy in a market where you had to sign a waiver to say that you were going to pay in cash above the appraised value for a property. You know, just the fact that the real estate commissions undid the protections that had always existed but were strengthened since the last housing crisis, and they literally undid that for this current market. And so these military members could not compete putting in an offer. Right. And... Those that, Californians, they were signing that waiver, right? Uh, lots of people. Holy cow, <laughs> 10, 20. You couldn't get an offer uh, even put on the table unless you had that that waiver signed. Right, right. And then there were multiple offers on on most properties. Right. So my advice to military members at the time was, hey, my recommendation, you may pay a little higher rent right now, but rent because I think you're going to see the market uh, – uh, the prices come down in 2022 after the government involvement is is pulled back. And I don't think it can keep going uh, too much terribly longer. I didn't think it could go this long. But, but at now, that I'm, point— I'm amazed at how long they can kick the can down the road. I'm not making any predictions or prognostications other than— you know, the longer we allow them to go as they're going, you're going to be separated from your private property and your rights are going to continue to be shredded. Um, wow. So that was just my interjection there. Comment. No, no it's <laughs> right, right on target. I don't I don't know how we can do that. I mean, because if those guys would have bought two years ago and they're selling now, they'd be geniuses. Right. Because the market keeps going up. 
So, I mean, I, I don't know, but whatever happens, you better be able to control the leverage that you've gotten yourself into, is my opinion. So, right, yeah, and given the fact right now that that they couldn't buy in a rising market, right. that we don't know how long it's going to rise before right. it comes. But in a normal three- to four-year assignment, I'm, I'm thinking they're going to be on the tail end of something that's not pleasant. They may be in some other state or some other country three or four years, right? Well, when they get another assignment, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, right. and, they, and that's the fear of home ownership in the military, that when it's time to leave, if the market did tank, well, now you're, you're, uh, you can't sell your house right. for what it's worth. And most military members are not good savers, just like the rest of the country. Yeah. So they don't have money in the bank to write a check to sell their house when it's, uh, when it's time to sell. Yeah. In fact, that's how I became a housing counselor. Uh, during the last or the 2008 time frame, we had military members never missed a payment, but they got orders out of this Air Force base in South Carolina, and the lenders were telling them that they were going to file for a deficiency judgment on the amount that was short. And as a housing counselor, I was teaming up with their real estate agent and, and uh, talking to their lender saying, hey, there's no way. And this is before the Department of Defense got involved and some rules got put out there to these lenders saying, what, are you kidding me? You're gonna take a military member, never been late, only reason leaving is because they have orders, and you're going to penalize them right now in this this down market. They're yeah. like, hell yeah, we are. We want to resell that property. The values are going up. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it was a short sale, so they had a buyer. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, but the buyer wasn't bringing all the cash to the table, and the seller couldn't bring the cash to the table. So the lender agreed on the short sale. Yeah. But they wanted to to put a legal judgment in the system to come after them. And of course. Like, unfortunately, we were able to get everybody. Uh, Nelson used to say that. that, and you check the uh, lineage of uh, the bankers there, you'll find they have some canine ancestry. So, Well, and like Nelson's story, and, and I like Nelson's story because uh, when he graduated from uh, college, you, you know what he became first? What his first job was? Mm -hmm. What was that? He was in the uh, forestry business. No, he was an Air Force officer. Oh, is that a job? Oh, man, man. Hey, don't hold it against him, but everybody just give me a call. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, okay. Fair, good, great point. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, you know, military never, I, I listen, we have lots of military clients across the country. And, you know, I'm being hard on the government in general. Um, I got nothing but love for the military men that have, and women, service people, that have sacrificed their life. I just don't agree with the people that are sending them wherever they're sending them. So, okay. He was a, he, he was a Army Air Force pilot. He went to the Army after his Air Force tour. Okay. Yeah. So the Air Force School is a job. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, he was a navigator. If I read it correctly, I think a navigator in the Air Force for two years. Okay. So when he tells his stories about going to the commissary, yeah, he, yeah. he was an Air Force officer at that yeah, time. Right, right. And then he then went into the Army National Guard, if I read the story correctly. Okay. But like Nelson, uh, you know, as a, as a real estate investor, I leveraged money. 
while I was teaching Financial Peace University in a small town in South Carolina, when the big banks in our government screwed up the housing market, I couldn't uh, I couldn't meet my obligations. And like Nelson, if I put my name on a piece of paper, that I'm I'm going to satisfy my debts. Right. So you didn't file bankruptcy. Didn't didn't file bankruptcy. Yeah. Did uh, didn't do anything like that. Didn't have any properties foreclosed. But I ended up moving my family to San Antonio, and I had to go back to work as as Mr. Mike Connor for the Air Force as a contractor. Uh, managing big military construction projects in Afghanistan. I ultimately ended up in Afghanistan for two Some years. of that tax-free money, is that what I'm hearing? Holy cow. Uh, it's amazing the amount of taxes they took out of that pay. No question. <laughs> <laughs> With me only coming in the country 30 days or less. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, how they took that much, I don't understand, but they got it. They have uh, a spending problem, Mr. Connor, <laughs> and then they don't have any money um, other than what they rent from the central banks that printed out of thin air. So they don't have any money. So they need yours. They don't have any productivity. So they've got to tax yours. So you know, you, you I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it, but you don't have to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, it's incredible. But so it, the the Nelson story, a lot of it rings sure. rings true with what I've been through. And I'm, uh, I've always been smart enough to sit in a room and listen to those that I think know something I don't know. And so as I studied the program and understood what was possible and that for my portion of the family tree, I, I can change that. As long as I can train my kids, yeah. and that's still a question, but as long as I can train them to to uh, keep pursuing what I've started, then I think that this branch of the Connor family changes forever, and that's the goal. Yeah, yeah. I think that you've done the correct foundation, my opinion, and expanded you know, correctly. No question. So good job on that. <clears throat> so it wasn't a challenge then what I'm getting to or asking earlier, I'm going to wrap that up and then I'll move on. But there wasn't a big challenge really from going from, you know, becoming debt free to life insurance as a bad guy. That that really wasn't a barrier in your mind, which is rare in my opinion, from the uh, that school of thought, right, of uh, Dave Ramsey's, right? So it just wasn't a challenge. Um, and, and like I said, that's rare. So, you know, how, how though you're paying the large premiums, you're using it in real estate. I mean, how's that gone? Everything in real estate hadn't been rosy over your whole career, surely. Not everything rosy, uh, but the you know, lifetime learner piece, I became a licensed appraiser. In, in South Carolina, I wanted to know how the, the, my team wanted to know how are the banks going to value the properties mm -hmm. because we were ultimately going to sell them. So I got trained as a, as a, an appraiser. I even took the home inspection courses. I didn't license that. Uh, I ultimately became a real estate agent and licensed. So I wanted to know what everybody in the, the circle, uh, what they were thinking, learn their language. 
uh, see if they knew anything that was important to the process. So we were taking control of everything that we could take control of. Do you of. suffer from FOMO, fear of missing out? Uh, possibly. I, mean, I call it a lifetime learner, but okay. yeah, just, um, I'm risk adverse. So see, yeah. so, no, so I, I was okay. insuring the, the program right. and so it carried on with the life insurance policies. And the concept of leveraging money, that never, as long as we were wise getting into a property, that right. that never bothered us. Uh, and, you know, as we were talking on the math spectrum, uh, Dave's program is the addition and subtraction. Uh, the leveraging may be more towards the uh, towards calculus. Uh, and because I I do it all, I can do it all and not feel bad about it. Yeah. So so moving those large premiums into the whole life policies and then using those to clear debt that is on real estate uh, for us it's exciting because when i ran the numbers or the comparison uh, between the average american family that nelson talks about and 34 and a half cents of every take-home dollar going to pay some financing charge when i just looked at at one portion of our portfolio on subject to properties about 10 grand a month going out 63 cents of every dollar right. was interest yeah. i'm going well holy cow if i can shift that debt into my financial system and keep making the same payment stream what in the world could that do you can't do that quick enough can you I, that's what i'm attempting to do <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know talking about generous and being generous nelson was very generous when he's using 34 and a half cents but he's also being very generous like you know the average all-american saving 10 percent. there's no way yeah. not even halfway there so you know and what i see and i had calculated them lately but you know just most all of americans are somewhere around 50 percent you know that it's not 34 and a half cents on average I see the average much higher than that. 50% of every dollar going through the all-American families' budget right through their hands in the in the form of finance costs for someone else. And you can even say, oh, there's some lost opportunity costs in there. It's just not accruing to them. It's accruing to someone else. Forever, F-O-R-E-V-E-R, forever. That's a long time. So, well, and that concept of instant gratification that they got us on whatever number of years ago, and you deserve this. Oh yeah, uh, holy uh. cow! And and so that that mentorship for young military members who finally had, and I went through it myself, finally have a steady paycheck that. I know it's it's coming. Now you're spending like a drunken sailor, huh? That's right. I got to do something. <laughs> As an airman, <laughs> got to do something pretty bad for that check to stop. Yeah. And so, right. Parkinson law kicks in, and you go, well, I did without this, this, and this, and and I'm going to make up for it now. <laughs> Outside of any military installation, there's a whole lot of operations that will separate you from your money. Oh yeah. And so to to help. Uh, to help stop that. So th that's when I was looking back and thinking about the capitalization. I had more money than I knew what to do. And so 1500 bucks a month going into that's a lot of money. mutual funds. That's what and Nelson was paying in premium back there in 1980, $18,000 a year in premium, which is a lot of money. Times that by three or five now. Well, and that's the crazy thing. If, if 
If only I had known yeah, back right. then, and all of that money went through a whole life policy rather than uh, to the stock market. Eighteen thousand a year. Did I say a month? Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so that that part um, made perfect sense, uh, and then trying to build the system of policies uh, with my kids that that was the other aha moment that hit me in the middle of, of studying all of it. Right. Uh, so as I'm training for the San Antonio Rock and Roll Marathon, and I got the podcast playing in my ears while I'm out logging a lot of miles, and I'm going, doggone it, I wish I'd done that. And then I went, wait a minute, I got four 20-something-year-old kids, and I'm a, I'm a late bloomer. Uh, so I've got kids uh, 23, 25, 26, and 27 right now and at that time last year three out of the four of them still liked me and i said hey you know i would have done this when i was your age but i didn't know about it now you know about it i'm saying instead of you putting a policy on yourself put the policy on me because i'm going first so they thought about it, and I, I said, no, wait a minute, I'm planning to live to 120. So, so, and, Calm down. And I was only 60 at the time, so I said, no, I'm not going anytime soon, but you, you can have a lot of years to, to build up this banking policy, and, uh, and then when I die, I already want you to celebrate because I've been working real hard to, uh, to build the family finances and to screw the IRS as much as possible through uh, 1031 tax exchanges, and hopefully that doesn't change here. Uh, oh, yeah, that's never going to change, right? That step up in basis, yeah, no, unrealized gains, yeah, that's never going to change. Just because they're talking about it all the time, they put it in a bill, carve it out of a bill, yeah, that's never going to happen. Yeah. yeah. See, sometimes Ooh. ignorance is bliss, but... No, it um, never, you know, it never really got, I mean, I've been around... Uh, real estate groups and participated in a, in a bunch of them and, and I like real estate um, it, it just that is a continuation of flawed thinking in my opinion 1031 exchange everything that's like tax defer tax defer tax defer who are you piling up that tax burden on your children yes your grandchildren yes it's like it never made sense to me but then it fit and I'm not I'm just saying um, it fit right into a certain real estate investor mentality, which is cheap, 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 cheap. Never use your own capital. Use the third party lenders and just cheap, cheap, cheap. Beat them up on price to the nth degree um, and then never pay taxes. I mean, it's like, really? This just doesn't seem like a long term formula for success to me i'm not saying that there's not a case or a place for a 1031 exchange but when you're piling up property after property after property over 10 15 20 30 years i'm just like there's going to be one heck of a tax bill coming due on your people so it just um never made sense to me that it, it, it so if they kill the the step up in basis mm -hmm. and and who knows but this is like the financial uh, education that we didn't get early on mm -hmm. with us sitting uh, averaging about 60 at this point we know a whole lot more now than we sure. knew when we were in our 20s or our 30s 
And just like the qualified uh, retirement plans that are out there, they're sold to you like they're something good, and you're not thinking necessarily about sure. the consequences. Yeah, you don't hear both sides of the table, the argument from both sides of the table. It's all presented, you know, loftily from one side. I get it. Yeah, so you start down the road, and mm-hmm. and then you, as you're going down, you go, oh, wait a damn minute. And the, uh, you know, the various concept, you know, on the, and I have IRA accounts as well. Sure. Uh, and the concept that they ask you early on, they say, hey, you know, right now you need this amount of money. You have this kind of income. You're going to be taxed at this rate. When you retire, you're not going to need that amount of money. Well, I'm not quite sure that was the right thought at the time mm-hmm. because I want to keep living a good life. So mm-hmm. I don't want to live on less money. But <clears throat> what they sold you was, hey, you're not going to be making as much money. You're not going to be paying the same taxes. Yeah. It's going to be a lower bracket. Right. But they didn't count on what five trillion dollars of extra money being printed and the tax rates going up to to recoup that so what we didn't know uh we didn't know but it's biting us now i think well i mean comparatively if you if you pile up all the tax burden on a future generation and you have term insurance and you outlive the term you know that's going to be ugly but if you have permanent insurance face amount that's enforced when you graduate you know, you might not, you you may not completely alleviate that tax burden, but you're going to put a dent in it, right? You're going to make. I mean, it's uh, at least you made an effort correcting that. You know, you and and you, the listener, can as well make an effort to correct that. I'm just saying that line of thinking to defer, defer, defer. I mean, I've been around financial people, you know, for 30 years, and some I have a lot of respect for. I think most of them have their hearts in the right place, and you know, they want the best for their their consumers and their customers and their clients. Um, but I hear you hear all kinds of things. You know, you get a room full of advisors together, and it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, you, you almost have to detox after 15 or 20 minutes. Um, and listen, I know all you life insurance agents out there listening. You know, I love you. Thank you for listening. And you know, you know, you know, I'm right. So anyway, um, you hear the conversation. It's like oh, I'm going to defer forever. Deferred annuities. You know, deferred 1031. Defer taxes forever. And it is just not a solution. Now, does that mean we all want to go sell everything in the highest tax bracket? Of course not. You know, I mean, there's, I, I'm just saying that is not the solution, right? There, there are things that can be done um, other than that that can maybe um, better alleviate the tax burden. You know, mom's tax bracket may be lower than your children's. Your children's tax bracket may be higher than yours. You know, taxes, um, one of the greatest threats to all of our estates mm-hmm. in our life should be addressed, and they should be addressed, you know, appropriately um, with an educated agent or advisor and an educated consumer. My opinion, just deferring taxes forever is not the solution. It may be the easiest sounding, but it is not the best solution generally. So we could wake up the U.S. population and we could go vote somebody in to fix the dog. You know, I hope I think they're waking up. I don't know. I mean, they, them, us, you know, um, it's stunning what's going on. I mean, we're we're sitting down. This is uh, November 17th. You know, Austria is. Uh, instituted a, a home lockdown for yeah. the uninitiated. Um, 
you know, Canada's like, oh my gosh, they got Australia. It's like all this is happening in slow motion right before our eyes. I think we're still stunned as a people, like, oh my gosh, is this really happening? You know, he's like, you need to clear your eyes and, you know, gird your lungs because it's happening. Anyway. I don't, you know, we don't always You're have to You're just a be. ray of sunshine, aren't you? <laughs> Listen, I'm an eternal optimist, so I believe, I believe in the all-American individual. I believe in you. You can do it. And I'm just saying that um, it's going on right now. It's happening right now. So um, I think historically, you know, uh, bad things happen to dictators, right? And, and it's, uh, you know... Um, Anyway, yeah, I, I am a red sunshine. I'm all peace, love, and love, peace, and chicken grease, all right? I'm an eternal optimist, but I'm a realist, and things are going on. I mean, I, I show up every day to promote the idea that you can become your own banker, right? And I'm just a life insurance agent selling life insurance, right? Um, and I, I'm doing that because you can't have freedom, period, without financial freedom. Mm-hmm. You cannot. So I'm promoting financial freedom, is I see it correctly. So, well, yes, I, I am a ray of sunshine. Thanks for that, pointing that that's out. That's right. <laughs> you, you are. And and I agree that uh, the financial freedom piece of it, and, and so the not-for-profit that we have in South Carolina called the Patriot Project, you know, for us, a, a patriot is accountable and responsible for themselves and theirs. Yeah. So, and and everything, their family, everything that comes after that, not the government. Right. And in order to do that, you have to set the foundation, the financial foundation, to be able to take care of whatever comes. Not think your your parents are getting too old and you're going to send them to some old age home that the government's paying for, or uh, you know somebody in the family needs help and well they're going to go to the welfare system. It's not the way this country was set up. Uh, it it it, uh, it it's shocking comparing what I see in this country and what a citizen thinks they deserve compared to other countries that I've been in that well, well put. have so much less, yeah. but they're not walking around protesting or they're not upset because they don't have the latest iPhone and a tele. Oh, no, hell no. They're coming in here and, trying to get a $450,000 check is what I hear. I, 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 <laughs> uh, All right. So let's be positive. All right. Yes. All right. Positive. Back to positive. <laughs> okay. So um, how's it going now, you know, with your real estate and your infinite banking concept? banking quote-unquote type policies you know um, surely you're are you fully engaged and active with real estate or you know and i don't want to know great details or anything but just kind of bring us up to date so you know military uh beans and rice dave ramsey you know your mentor to the young airmen and and their families um and then mentor in the real estate mentor in the church. I mean, you, you're, you're a pretty good servant, you know, is what I'm saying. And, um, and then you're doing it and leading by example from your family, you know, just expand maybe a little bit on, cause even distribution of age classes, you continue, continue to expand there. Um, are you, are y'all engaged with real estate with these cash flows? And I mean, you mentioned earlier, kind of, you did the numbers, $10,000 a month going out and, 65, 63% of it was interest. I mean, yeah. that had to be shocking. I'd have had a heart attack and fell off the table. Um, so I'm, I'm just saying that surely you've said about correcting that, right? And 
<laughs> well, a- absolutely. And we, as I say, we use private lenders as well. So mm-hmm. we we team with private lenders that aren't, they're making 0.001% on their uh, uninvested funds. So they can make a good rate of return lending to my team. Mm-hmm. And then the way we help in the local market is we help prevent foreclosure. So uh, the housing counselor and me, I, I was just door knocking two days ago. And so for families in San Antonio that are in the geographic region where we're located, we'll go out and, and door knock, uh, talk to them face to face, tell them that um, we help families that are having challenges with their lenders, uh, that we're, we're our housing counselors and, or former housing counselors. And oftentimes that can help um, uh, get action for the homeowner with the lender who, who may not be speaking to them uh, inappropriate ways. I'll I'll put it that way. And so we help families uh, get loan modifications and stay in their properties. And we get some nice referrals. Uh, We have some families that they can't fix it themselves, but uh, we can help still help them avoid the foreclosure. So that part um, works well. Uh, We are using our our IBC policies to uh, buy our debt back to so that we're keeping it inside of our financial system. Uh, I just had a, a call from a uh, physical therapist as I was driving up here yesterday where there's a military member uh, at the hospital where she works that uh, wants to buy, but he's having challenges. So that's, and he's a soldier. So there's part of my military family I expect to talk to when I drive out here later today to help advise them on what would be smart as far as housing in San Antonio right now. Uh, so that, that kind of stuff happens on a daily basis. Um, through the NNI website, my very first referral was an active duty tech sergeant at Lackland Air Force Base. And that was, that was awesome because I want to get to the active duty uh, right. individual. So, uh, Brandon's already put a policy in place for himself that protects him, and he's excited uh, about uh, insuring his wife, uh, and she just completed college. So uh, she's working to get employed now, but as soon as she's got a steady paycheck, she's talking about putting a policy in place um, on herself, and they've got a 12-year-old daughter. So that part's exciting. I'm talking to retirees uh, about the... Uh, the transition to the veterans group life insurance right. or not that you went through or the service uh, what's a survivor benefit plan that's that's another program yeah. and the to help educate the military wherever they are on the front end or the back end uh, on financial intelligence and home ownership or as a retiring uh, on the transitional life insurance or how to provide for their family uh, when when they die uh, and so there's income that continues to come in for their family. Yeah. That all of that stuff fits right in the the sandbox I've been playing in for a lot of years. So that part's awesome. Right. I mean, beyond <clears throat> banking, I mean, banking is just one thing that you can do with dividend-paying whole life insurance policies issued by mutual companies. But you can really bank with anything. You know, you can bank with cash. You can bank with cows. You can bank with farm equipment. You can bank with CDs. You can bank. Banking is a process, not a product. Right. Um, but while you're solving these financial 
uh, for these financial needs. Um, oh, you can practice banking too. It's a it's a beautiful tool, in my opinion. All right, but so let's uh, let's. I don't know how long we've been going. I forgot to turn the timer on. Um, but let's any any closing. So let's kind of like wrap it up. Do you have uh, any closing points that you want to make or um, comments? Closing comments. Now on the way home, you're, you're going to think, oh, I should have said this. That's right. I should have said so, that. So many things. The, the financial education that we don't get uh, and me thinking all the way back to I was supposed to be that high school math teacher um, and why that's not a core part of our education system given that you're going to have to operate your finances in our economy yeah. for the rest of your life. Uh, I still don't understand that. So there's a there's a big lack there, and certainly the the noise is, is Nelson and you talk about that's out there. Um, every industry has their product, their promotion, and it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And if, and if you get trained in that, you believe it. And right. so, you know, as I've I told you, I uh, appraiser, home inspector, real estate investor, housing counselor, life insurance, every one of those um, career fields has their own message on how they're benefiting the public. And when you stand back and look at all of it, and you scratch your head and go, well, wait a minute. Whoops! <laughs> what what happened over here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what happened over there? And uh, they truly believe what they were doing, but they only knew a thin slice of what they were doing. So, uh, for me, being a lifetime learner, I find that very interesting to uh, to to continue studying uh, and and to get people wherever they are in that spectrum and go, hey. Uh, here's where you say you are right now. Here's a path on to to some place that you could get to if you choose to. Uh, the concept that you have an opportunity to to do something uh, is a head hurting kind of thing uh, for for most people. Uh, but but that I'd like that challenge. I like helping people. Uh, I like hurting their head on on top of everything else because. I hurt my head at the same time. Uh, so every time I'm trying to teach somebody something new, I reinforce uh, or or learn something new as sure. I do it. So I, I think that's an awesome thing. Well, you know, I think that uh, Nelson was much uh, much more gracious, gracious. He's much more of a gentleman. He was better educated, just a smarter guy in general than I. Um, he did point out the noise. I've like I spent too much of my time on the noise. Yeah, I think. You agree? I spent too much time. No, on no, not, I, I, I'm talking for myself. <laughs> Thank you, but uh, I'll second yours, though, too. Uh, and then uh, you know, with some of the people, they're like, they they only know a sliver, but they act like they know the whole. And they were sincere; they were just sincerely wrong, right? Yeah. And then, um, and I'm just making comments on your comments. It's like the education is missing. No question. Why? I don't know. I think they're too damn busy indoctrinating. But that's just me, my opinion, and I'm positive. Okay, but um, well, it's more profitable for the system for us not to be educated. Educated if if 
we know what's happening, we'll know what to do. There's yeah. some sort of catchy phrase like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, yeah, if we teach, a, hell, if we teach a young person today as fast as they're picking up technology and everything else, and they get it, they they're can do incredibly awesome smart. Stuff. These young people are incredible. I know the, like the, uh, What's that? The not the baby boom generation, but the 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 younger generation that everybody beats up millennials. On. Yeah, the millennials. Everybody beats up the millennials. Let me tell you what they're in, very intelligent. And then the the Zoomers underneath them, but they make fun of the millennials, and they're even smarter, in my opinion. <laughs> I've got my kids calling me a boomer. So right, yeah, uh, boomer. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so they, so yeah. Plus their sense of humor on top of everything. Yeah, else. they so. they're sometimes funny. Most of the time they're not as funny as they think they are. But it's just <laughs> you know. And, and two, you know, you said you're a late bloomer. I got to say this too, um, because I am too. You know, I mean, um, our youngest just turned fourteen. Um, my goodness, where is the time gone? But you know, statistically, the older you are when you have children. The longer you'll live, your life expectancy is longer. That's an actuarial truth. Hmm. So, and I don't know, I think it's because it gives us more purpose, you know, like you eating right and working out, you know, I mean, I work out, but I don't eat right. I mean, we're trying not to die, you know, I mean, I think that's part of it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But listen, Mike, look, I've had a lot of fun. I appreciate you coming up here and spending your time here. Um, and sitting down with me. Um, I've enjoyed it. I hope you enjoy listening and thank you for listening. Until right. next time. Thanks, sir. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs>Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.